Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. As many of you are no doubt aware, AMTA recently hosted the One Last Time tournament. This was the first time that AMTA ever hosted a tournament like this. And the whole point was because we didn't have nationals uh, to give our graduating seniors an opportunity to compete one last time. That tournament happened just a few days ago, and we are thrilled to have the entire winning team, Team 36, all five members on the episode to talk about their experience at one last time. That team was, of course, Sonali Mehta and Georgia Lala of Duke University, Stephen Becker and Isabel Pentland of Tufts University, and Elias Nybart of Emory University. We're thrilled to have all of you on, and we're going to talk about several of your origin stories in a moment. But Sonali, I first have to ask, don't you have anything better to do? Um, cool. Good call out. Um, I'm just saying, I like. I think two more podcast episodes, you get a free lunch. Um, yeah, no more podcast episodes for me. I'm going to talk as little as possible. You should hear from the rest of my amazing team. Um, I started a job now, so I'm not doing as much mock trial. <laughs> That's fair. So, so let's talk about the rest of your team. I'm sure we'll get back to your experience in a second here. But I'm just going to go in the order that I see here on my uh, screen. So Stephen, I want to start with you. Uh, obviously, mock trial started for you somewhere. So can you take us through your origin story? Of course. Um, So I didn't do mock trial in high school. Um, I was kind of goaded into it by, by Tufts aggressive recruiting program of which I later became a part. Um, I was initially, I I mean, I, I, I did model UN in high school. I came into college, wanted to do some kind of speaking thing. Um, And I initially tried it for debate, actually did not get in. Um, so I was kind of, uh, you know, trying to figure out what to do after I got rejected from debate. I got, you know, aggressively proselytized to by the mock trial people, went to the GIM and I tried out thinking, I mean, if I didn't get into debate, there's no way I'm getting into this. And then I got a call that I got in and that was how it started. So it began freshman year of high school, uh, sorry, freshman year of college. Um, after that, I just really quickly fell in love. Um, I had a fantastic first team. Um, I think that was really kind of what sold me on mock trial was my, my very first team, uh, shout out to Zabir Islam and Emma Khan, uh, my, my freshman year fall captains who kind of really instilled in me the joy of mock trial. Um, and like just how kind of satisfying and rewarding it can be as an activity. Um, and I was really, really bad. I was, I was like, people tell stories about how bad I was freshman year. Um, I like, I was just really terrible. Um, and, but I was dedicated, um, because I was around kind of all of the, all of these people who were really passionate. I, that kind of rubbed off onto me. And so, um, you know, like freshman year spring, I initially, Um, I was put on as like a non-competing member on the B team, which was captained by the same people and had many of the same people as my fall team. So it was kind of like, you know, reuniting with the family. And and I think that was really where I improved a lot. And I uh, kind of started to come into my own. Um, Once I was put on this non-competing team, but I was still going to practice and like, you know, writing content with people, you know, practicing stuff with people. Um, And from there, it just kept getting more and more, you know, involved and intense. And uh, you know, eventually got where I am today. I imagine the um, intense recruitment campaign story hits home for a lot of people who have, <laughs> who have listened to this. I know that's something that 
uh, I imagine has brought a lot of people into this activity. Uh, Elias, let's talk next to you. So obviously Emory has a, a great program, just like Tufts and Duke. So how did mock trials start for you? Yeah, so uh, exactly like Stephen, I didn't do any speech and debate in high school. I played some sports. I think I went to one model Congress conference and, and did poorly there. Um, so when I got to college, I was sort of feeling out the extracurricular scene. And I thought I wanted to be a lawyer at that point. So I saw a pre-law society table. I saw a mock trial table. And I decided to try out. Um, it's funny that Steven said that when he started, he was uh, pretty shaky because I think in my first tryout, I forgot my opening statement halfway through, uh, but I redeemed myself my witnessing. Uh, and people will still make fun of, fun of me of that today because I was obviously not a witness in college, but redeemed myself in my witnessing and I got a spot on the team, but then begged my first year captain to give me, give me a speech. Uh, so I did the P open for the Riley Winter case. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Um, freshman year was a little, a little rough. Um, you know, we, I think my team didn't make it out of regionals, but sophomore and junior year, we made back-to-back nationals appearances. Um, and of course, you know, I got to experience, uh, meet a lot of great people and also, you know, do a lot of great uh, mock trial at Emory. So it was a great, great time. Isabel, let's, let's go to you next. Same question as, as I've asked the two gentlemen before. How did you first get involved in mock trial? Sure. So I also was not in mock trial in high school, um, but I was on the debate team, which everybody laughed at me for, but I actually joined the debate team at Tufts. The tryout for the debate team was two weeks before the tryout for the mock trial team. Um, And so I was fully on the debate team and thought that I was going to be a debate kid. Like I had already competed at one debate tournament in college before the mock trial tournaments even happened. Um, And so I sort of like, I I almost didn't go to my tryout because I thought, well, I already have the debate team, but why would I do another speaking activity? But as soon as I met the people on the team, I was sold instantly. Um, And there wasn't even really a period of like deciding for me. I was, I was so sold and immediately knew that mock trial would be a good home for me for the next four years. Um, And I started off attorneying actually, but then my junior year sort of found a niche in experting. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. That's that's so interesting that sort of the overlap of debate and uh, mock trial. I have to imagine that there are others out there who had that experience too. And, and I know we certainly sort of, I feel like there's a friendly rivalry at a lot of campuses between debate and mock trial. Um, so Georgia, let's go to you next. How did mock trial start for you? Yeah, um, so I did a lot of Model UN in high school, um, and I really enjoyed that and was looking for kind of a community like that. Um, we don't we don't have uh, mock trial in New Zealand, um, so when I came to Duke, I was super excited um, hearing about this activity because it seemed so cool that people were pretending to be lawyers and witnesses. Um, so when I tried out, I'm 90% sure I only got on onto our team because I had an accent, um, but the hilarious thing was that uh, over time I would slowly pick up sort of American vernacular um, and judges at the end of rounds would kind of say like, your, your New Zealand accent was good, but you know, you dropped it in some places. Um, so that was always a highlight at the end of rounds. Um, but yeah, I joined Mock Trial for the community. I fell in love with the people and I stayed for the people. Um and also just fell into a really good niche with witnessing senior year. Um, Yeah, and just had a really good time with the people I was surrounded by. You know, it's so interesting hearing the the four of you talk about your origin stories, how many of you mentioned the people involved with mock trial. And I think that that hits home for just about all of us. I mean, this is a group of people that you do and spend a lot of time with. 
um, when you've competed with them for 40 years and you guys are all seniors. And so I think my next question kind of goes out to, to whoever of you, this was that this was your brainchild, but you know, coming up with this idea of merging such successful teams, you know, I think for a lot of you, there were other seniors from your programs that probably were competing and the idea to compete with people that maybe you either haven't met before or have competed against and never really had you know a long conversation with is can be an intimidating idea and obviously it worked really well but whose idea was that and can you give us some insight into why you had this idea yeah so uh it was my idea this is steven speaking um when i first heard that you know they were going to allow olt teams to be comprised of people from multiple schools i got really excited both at the possibility of you know being on one of those teams and also seeing what other people would do with that with that possibility um for for me like when i first started kind of trying to to form a team like this um it came about as kind of a necessity because i wanted i really wanted to do um olt i wanted that you know last experience um and there wasn't that much other interest from Tufts. There were a couple other people, but they had already paired up with, um, you know, Kai, Kai, Kai and Dan. Um, and so uh, I needed people. And so basically what happened was my friend and TBC second chair, Bennett, heard through the grapevine because he knows everyone um, that Sonali and Georgia were looking for people. Um, I didn't know either of them at the time, but I, I reached out. And then Elias, I knew from, uh, you know, we did we did a uh, trial by combat scrimmage beforehand, and we kind of became friends. But through that, so the four of us sort of decided to form a team. We also, you know, thought it would be cool to to do this like multiple TBC competitor thing because um, this was right on the heels of TBC. Um, and then there were four of us, and we realized that uh, there was one person who could like feasibly witness on that team. So then. I reached out to Isabel, um, who I knew as an incredible witness. Um, and I had to reach out to her twice. Uh, she said no at first, <laughs> but then after we put the team together, I was like, look at this team. How can you say no to this team? And then she said yes. Uh, and so, yeah, that's basically the origin story. I love it. No, that's awesome. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you talked about kind of combining these three trial by combat competitors, but I think that anyone that watched the final round knows that, your, your strength was not only in your attorneys, but in your invaluable witnesses. And I think that um, it's interesting because if you built a team, at least in my opinion, if you built a team of five trial by combat competitors, I don't think that team does this well. I really don't. Um, I think that there's such a heavy focus on attorneying and it. And as we saw, it's important to be able to witness too. And I, I think that I can safely say that Isabel and George did a better job than any of the three of you would have in those attorney roles. And I feel pretty confident about that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely agree. But, so I'll I'll go to to you Georgia and I I, I want to ask you uh, both as a witness but also as a competitor representing Duke what do you think you as both as a, I said as a witness and as a member of the Duke uh, contingency of this team brought to the table and maybe what insights into Duke mock trial were you able to bring uh, and kind of teach the others Yeah um I'm not sure if I brought any insight to this team um everyone are um amazing competitors so I was really lucky to be on this team um I I guess as a witness um 
like I said earlier, I fell into a niche um, playing crime witnesses in my senior year. Um, and that's kind of a shout out to Eric Roitman, who helped out with our team this time round. Um, he's also head coach at Duke and he has really helped me um, kind of figure that out along um, the course of the year. And so a lot of that kind of culminated in this final tournament. So I wouldn't have really been able to do that without him. Um and then in terms of Duke, what um, kind of I brought from that, I think what our A team, I think, at Duke had that was really special this year was kind of that sense of being in it together and having this really strong sense of community and realizing how important that is to building a really strong team. And so making sure that that community was there, um, I think we can all say now that we're really good friends and that like we get along super well. So that kind of community building aspect was a huge part for our team. That's awesome. I mean, I think that that's what, and as I said before, so much of mock trial is about that team building, that cohesion, being able to work together. And I think the fact that you guys were able to come together from three different programs and do that is a testament to that teamwork that you guys displayed. Um, so Isabel, I do want to go to you now um, as our other witness from this team, but also as a representative of Tufts. And I think that um, Duke and Tufts obviously have very different um uh, styles of mock trial, I'll say. Um, I don't think either one is necessarily better or worse, but what do you think you brought to the table as well as, you know, from that Tufts perspective, what did you and, and by extension, Stephen, um, bring as the, the Tufts mentality to this team? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing was that coming from Tufts, we're obviously a student-run program. We don't have coaches. We don't have really any sort of outside influence whatsoever. It's fully all, every single decision from Things that we're putting into our content to how we run the program as a whole financially are done by students. So I think for us coming into this, I mean, Stephen, I don't want to speak for you, but it was super interesting having a coach. Um, Shout out to Eric, our wizard. Um, And I think having that perspective of being able to have a degree of independence while also appreciating having a coach to make final decisions for us was, um, I think, helped our team balance things and sort of figure out our dynamic. I, I don't know if Stephen would think the same thing, but at least personally, I think that that was something that um, we had brought to the table um, in terms of molding our team dynamic. Uh, well, last but certainly not least, Elias, you are kind of our representative, our sole representative from Emory. And I'll kind of ask the same question that I've framed to Isabel in Georgia. Um, you know, what do you think Emory mock trial, What what's the the aspect of Emory that you tried to bring with you to this team? And what do you think that how did that show itself in competition? Definitely. Well, I'll first echo everything that my other uh, teammates said. Um, you know, Tufts and Emory are both student-run programs, but I think having Eric there, uh, again, shout out to Eric, was a great asset for our team. Um, we were able to coordinate content. Um, he really helped us streamline things. So uh, despite coming from a student-run program, I thought it was really effective to have a coach there kind of guide us through the process. Um I won't speak for all of Emory, but um, one thing when I was on the executive board, I tried to instill was just a, a very um, um, like a very hard work ethic. Uh, we only had ten days to prepare this case. Uh, Sonali was obviously double siding. Uh, we also had a bunch of demos, so everyone on this team had to put a lot of effort uh, into getting this uh, case ready to be you know um, to be tried for you know two different days for a fifth round. Um, so one thing that I really um, appreciated from this team and something that I tried to bring from Emory was just you know, working incredibly hard over the 10-day period we had the case to ensure that we were going, um, starting day one, starting our first trial um, with the best content and the best, um, you know, mock trial performance that we could. Um, 
And I think that all the, I think all my teammates sort of uh, re- resemble that work ethic that I try to bring at Emory too. I sort of have two thoughts on all of that. The first one is I'm going to start charging Eric Reutemann like an IP fee for every time his name gets mentioned <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but second of all, I, I really, you know, I think the one last time tournament was a spectacular success. And I think you all are showing exactly why, which is that you had, um, you know, three different programs, three very good nationals competitive programs. And you all sort of set that aside and came together to do this. Uh, and I just, I think that's really cool. And I think it, it, as Drew said, sort of represents the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Uh, I do kind of want to go back to the beginning of, you know, you all, uh, you've defined your, you've sort of discussed how this team came together. But obviously, once you decided to be a team, you had to come up with, all right, how are we going to do this? Let's figure out who's going to do what. And once the case was released, like your prep process. So I think I'll start to Sonali, since we haven't heard from you in a little while, and also others who maybe want to follow up. How did that process start? How did you guys sort of work through the process of becoming a team and preparing as a team? Yeah, Um I like, I think like the team really came together sort of at the last minute. I spent a long time kind of debating and talking to Georgia, like, do I even want to do this? Like, should just be done? Like, um, that kind of thing. And then once I decided, like, I was like, all right, fine, like, let's do it. I wanted to like, you know, compete with Georgia this, this last time. And, um, once we, once everything was set, like we had this team going, there was not a ton of turnaround before the case released. And obviously once the case was out only 10 days, um, uh, Sorry for another Eric shout out, but I mean, he really, Eric didn't help out. He was our coach. Like he was at every practice, like reviewed everything, worked with everything, every person on their stuff. And so I think I sort of had said to Steven, like, I would love to be on the team. Can Eric coach? I was like, God, package deal kind of thing. Um, Just because like, we're so comfortable working together at this point. And also I knew like, it was sort of a risk, right? Working with all these people who I didn't know before. It turned out that we all get along really great and like, really like each other a lot but um I think I thought like going into it it would be good to have somebody who could like make you know have those kind of final say type things that um Isabel mentioned and so yeah we I mean once the case came out we you know decided roles pretty quickly I think like Isabel and um Georgia do different types of witnesses so that just made sense and um I'm more an opener Stephen and um Elias definitely more closers that, that made sense also and yeah, I feel like we definitely like Eric kind of set the tone for a lot of like practices. Things were pretty similar to the way we do them at Duke. So I don't know what other people thought on the process, because for me, it was me and Georgia. I think it was pretty familiar from how we normally do things. No, it, it's funny because um, we were kind of following sort of the talk around the tournament beforehand. Uh, I will mention a certain podcast that also talked about <laughs> the team as well. Um, and, and, and people were wondering, you know, how would a group of people from different schools interact? You know, how would they be able to divide up roles and coordinate writing content and, and practicing. And it was surprisingly the most seamless and effortless process that I've ever been a part of. Um, from the first day, I think we decided theme and theory very quickly. Roles were, you know, basically agreed upon in, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, and from that point on, we just basically trusted everyone within our team to, you know, write good content, to come to practice, prepare, to perform it in front of the entire team, to, to run it, to, to give meaningful feedback. Um, so I think that even though we came from different programs, because we all care so much about the activity and because we all have invested so much time to the activity for our past you know, four years at our respective colleges, um, we just trusted each other so much. And we were able to um, really rely on one another to you know, get ready for this tournament um, in the 10-day period that we had. Yeah, I, I think a big part of what allowed us to kind of become a cohesive team was like 
you know, obviously there was like all the talk about will we fit together? And I think, I think that kind of in a way made us more conscious of the fact that like, okay, like we're, we're obviously coming from different programs. We're, ne- we're going to all need to be team players. I know like, you know, I, at least for Elias and I, because, you know, Eric was running a lot of the show. We, there were certain things where we had to like set our, our differences aside and be like, okay, well, you know, we'll just be team players and, and do it one way or another. Um, even if it's not what we're used to. Um, and I think, having kept all that in mind, the the social dynamic really just came together very, very naturally. Like at first it was, you know, I I guess kind of what you'd expect. Like most, most of us didn't know each other. Um, You know, people tended to talk more to the people from their schools, except for Elias who was alone. Um, (laughs) But really like, you know, by like halfway through the prep process, we were all, you know, very comfortable. And I think it's, that's just a testament to like how, spending many 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 hours on zoom with the same people doing this like weird intense activity is a pretty good way to bond with people so i'm curious and and really any of you can answer this not directed to any one of you but have any of you obviously the ones that are outside of your your programs but have any of you met in person before and either like obviously intentionally or like maybe you didn't even know this, but we went against you in round like three years ago. And oh my gosh, you were on that team. Like, did that happen for any of you? I'm just like kind of curious because I feel like that'd be kind of crazy and fun if it did. And if it didn't, obviously it's possible. You guys kind of are coming from relatively different parts of the country. I mean, you're all East Coasters, but I'm just curious if that happened for any of you or if since then there's a planned like once COVID ends, we got to all get together and like celebrate as a team finally. So I black out mock trial rounds. I do not remember a mock trial round from the past four years. Couldn't tell you. But like literally day like two of practice, Elias and I are on a Zoom call together. And he's like, do you remember sophomore year round two at Oryx when we hit each other and your timekeeper was this person? I was like, no, I don't remember. I think most people either like completely black out mock trial rounds or remember every single detail of every single mock trial round that has ever happened in their career. Okay, Elias, we got to hear the other side of that story. Though. So what, what, what happened in that round with Sonali's sophomore year? No, so, so like I mentioned before, my freshman year, my team didn't make out a regional. So my sophomore year was my first time at Orcs. And we were all very anxious. And we were, you know, getting ready to, we were trying to make it to nationals. And the first round, we draw Duke A. And everyone just like, it was a f- like face palm right away. Like, oh, no. And then we, we go against Sonali's team. I think she was opening, but I definitely know she was on the council table. And they were just flawless, um, totally blew, blew us out of the water, lost very handily. And then um, we ended up actually making it to nationals because um, we, you know, did very well in the last few rounds of the tournament. And then Duke ended up not making it to nationals. And I remember it being sort of like a controversy because Duke was one of the best teams that year. And although I was elated to make it to nationals, um, it was my first time going um, and it was a great experience. Emory actually ended up doing very well there. We, we got honorable mention. Um, I still like my heart ached for Sonali's team because they were so, they were so talented. Um, and it just, it, you know, you know, obviously, you know, there's winners and losers in mock trial, but you know, if there was one team that deserved to go, it was definitely Duke A that year. So I had to give a, a Sonali a little apology when I first met her. <laughs> I remember we had our first initial zoom just to say, you know, you guys deserve to go that year too. That's, that's so interesting that not only did you guys play each other, but that Emery contributed to like the, the, the Duke hellish CS that year that I'm sorry to bring that up, but like, <laughs> that's, that's like a whole added wrinkle to that story. That's the one thing I remember from four years is that our CS was 23.5 that year. <laughs> that's the only thing I remember. 
I feel like that's like one of the reasons why we changed orcs. Like, I feel like people use that as yeah. the example of like, hey, like, let's not have this happen anymore. Like, that sucks for people. Uh, so I, I want to ask another kind of general question. I think so many of you have mentioned Eric, and obviously he he was coaching you guys for this. And and for many of you, this was your first time acting with a coach. And I think that as a as a student who also competed in a student-run program, I know that was a point of pride for us. And I think that that probably is something that, you know, you guys could identify with it to at least to some extent. But I also know that now that I have time to reflect on my time there, now that I have begun coaching my own high school teams and other teams that I'm involved in, um, my opinion on that has changed a lot. And I'm curious um, if any of you that are from student run programs have any, like, has this affected your opinion on student versus coach run teams? And maybe it's that I still think student run is is good in ways, but I think there are maybe aspects of a coach that that would be great if we had access to over the four years that I competed. Yeah, so Emory is, I would say, just like the complete opposite of being coached. We barely have any sort of um, advising from a faculty person, from law students, from obviously any attorneys in the area. Um, and we really do pride ourselves on that. Um, and I definitely value it. Um, and it was, uh, I enjoyed having a leadership role on the team. Um, I enjoyed sort of the, the freedom and independence we had and, you know, creating um, creating the case and crafting our case theories. Um, with that said, I think that um, meeting someone like Eric, um, who's obviously was a, such a seasoned competitor, but then also has transitioned to coaching, sort of opened my eyes to the other side of the coin. Because I think the best coaches, and Eric definitely, um, definitely, definitely exemplified this, um, don't just tell students what to do. Um, they help students bring out the best in themselves, Right. So I think Eric from the beginning recognized that, you know, he knows Sonali and Georgia, obviously, but he recognized that Stephen, Isabel, and I brought different things to the table, right? So when he would help me with my closing, he wouldn't try to make me give an Eric Reutemann closing argument. You know, he would try to help me make the best Elias Naber closing argument that I could give. And I think Stephen and Isabel would probably echo that too. Um, it wasn't so much, you know, imposing his mock trial will on us. It was really helping us flourish to, um, to, the, to the best that we could. And obviously, I think the results uh, speak for themselves. Yeah, I, I so, so agree with what Elias was saying there. Um, like, it it really changed my perspective in that it it showed how, you know, because it's like when you're on a student-run program and you, like, you know, you talk about, like, oh, those dirty coach teams. And, like, <laughs> the I, – I think the opinion I had and, – and, you know, it's, it's, it's true to a certain extent, it, which is not my favorite thing, is that, like, sometimes coaches do, you know, tell people what to do or do kind of, like – take control of the, of the reins of the program. And, um, I, I guess what, what really changed in my opinion is, is realizing that that's not kind of what it has to be. And that there is, and that like, actually like the best kind of coaching is, is like Elias said, the coaching where it's, it's like bringing out the best and already good competitors. Um, and so like it was, you know, it was especially enlightening to see like Sonali work with, Eric, because like, you know, obviously like Sonali is so like incredibly talented and same with Georgia. And like, I didn't, I didn't think before that they, that like all of their, you know, magic came from Eric, but I think it, it was interesting to watch how the, the kind of the, the balance in the process worked where it's like, okay, like this is what they're bringing. To, this is what the students bring to the table. This is what the coaches are bringing to the table. And it was, yeah, it was cool to see how that worked. Well, let me ask this. It's it's a little bit tangential from what we were just discussing. But, you know, we've done um, 
there's been a couple of one-on-one competition that have happened virtually, but this is really the first one that uh, has been two-on-two. There's, you know, you've got teams on each side, and it's also the first one really where witnesses are scored. I know witnesses have three check marks at, at TBC, but but those are all primarily attorney competitors. So I want to ask this question specifically to Georgia and Isabel. I guess we'll just go in that order because I see your names in that order on my screen here. What was it like? I mean, you both have so much experience witnessing uh, live, uh, witnessing, you know, you're both incredibly decorated and successful witnesses in AMTA. This was, of course, the first time that you've ever witnessed on Zoom. So I guess, Georgia, starting with you, what was that like? How was it different? How was it the same? And, and, and what do you think you learned throughout the process? Yeah, um, I will say that I was like blown away by how it was possible to do an online trial. Like going in, I had no idea because I didn't do TBC or any kind of online competitions. I had no idea what it would be like. Um, And it was really interesting because we did two scrimmages before um, OLT. And I remember the feedback that I got after our first one was don't stare down the camera. Like you're just staring down like people who are watching you. And I was like, oh shoot, like I don't know where to look anymore because like, when you're in a courtroom you have a whole audience and then when you're obviously like in front of a computer it's just kind of you in your room like talking to a camera like playing this like very weird witness and it's very if you if you think about it for more than two seconds um it gets very strange um for me I was doing the like the rounds at like 1 or 4 a.m in the morning so my whole family was asleep and then they'd hear me like start crying like suddenly um which is very like distressing for them um so it's it's a really interesting kind of setting for it to be in um but I genuinely do think that it can that it works yeah and jumping off that I do think that it works much more successfully than I thought that it would um I thought there would be a lot of awkwardness just talking to a camera and not being able to gauge people's reactions because I think a lot of witnessing is um picking up on what's going on in the room um, and responding to that. Um, So obviously you cannot do that at all in a Zoom context because everybody else's screen is blacked out except for the people who are involved in that piece, Um, which is super interesting to sort of just have to have confidence in your own content and your own abilities and believe that what you're saying is correct and you're doing a good job without any external validation, which I think was tougher for me. And the other thing I think is obviously when you're on Zoom, there's the ability to be reading or, you know, looking at your lines or whatever people might be doing, which I think was tempting for a lot of people. And certainly there were some rounds where you could tell that a witness was reading. And I think I think that is a very easy crutch that people don't actually need. It doesn't behoove you to be reading. And I don't think that you do better reading. Um, So I think just in that transition to the online format, that's something to be looking looking towards in the fall semester because I know it's all going to be online as well. I think that that's really awesome to hear just both of your perspectives on that. Something that I couldn't help but notice. So Georgia, were you competing from New Zealand throughout one last time? Uh, yeah. So, so my sleep schedule just got completely like whacked <laughs> for, for about four days. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just going to say like Georgia does not get enough credit for the fact that round one for her happened at like literally two thirty in the morning. And if it was anyone other than Georgia, I just would not have trusted them to do it, but she's incredible. So I, I got to say, I mean, I, I didn't realize that it was that extreme of a time change for you, but I mean, 
did was that like a noticeable thing for you? Did you? I mean, I, as someone watching a lot of the rounds that you guys did, I didn't even have any idea that you were staying awake at three, four in the morning, um, competing. And that's, I mean, that's amazing to me. I do not think many of us could could competently cry on the stand that way at 4 a.m. Um, so, I, I mean, was that an obstacle for you at all, George? Or were you kind of like, I'm in the zone, let's do it. If it's 4 a.m., if it's 4 p.m., I don't care. Yeah, surprisingly, um, and I think this happens when you go away for a tournament. You get in the zone for the weekend and it's all you're thinking about. So you just kind of, you do it and you just do what you have to do. Um, and that's just kind of what happened. I think I might have fallen asleep during like a mid-round meeting once or twice, but like it was honestly fine and it it gives me a lot of confidence in like the ability for like online competitions to actually span outside of America because I know that there are international students who do do mock trial and I have a friend in Canada who's um at Duke at the moment um and still wants to compete in mock trial um and that is like a viable option which is like quite special I think that's that's a really great point and it's something I hadn't really thought about until now obviously some students are you know going to be remote but I mean, to be that remote and still be able to participate, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of easy to spot downsides about what we're currently dealing with, but there's a lot of upsides too. And I think that that's really interesting to hear. Uh, We have a couple of other miscellaneous questions for you all. So I'll just kind of launch into one here uh, and it's directed at you, Sonali. So you've obviously now done three different types of virtual tournaments. Um, I think you're probably at this point, one of the most experienced people in the country in terms of those types of virtual tournaments. I mean, I think a couple of you guys uh, have done all three of the ones that happened. So now that you've been through three of them, what do you think you've learned as an advocate that could possibly be useful for people moving forward in terms of how you've achieved the level of success you achieved in this format? Um, yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, similarly to how I felt after TBC, I certainly was not expecting to win TBC felt more confident about this because it was easy to feel confident about my team in a way that like, you know, TBC is just yourself. Um, but kind of point being that I didn't feel like I had like a secret sauce or a special, you know, magical thing or anything. I think that a lot of the good skills from regular mock trial translate into online mock trial. There's like, it's remarkably more similar than I think a lot of people maybe expect until they do it for the first time. You know, Georgia was kind of saying that same thing. Um, I mean, this is small, but I think like being a person about the nature of an online trial, like, you know, I started during TBC just like saying to the witness, like, can you hear and see me? Okay. And just little things like that to like recognize the fact that like we are in zoom or not in a courtroom or if something goes wrong, just like being, you know, adapting to it and just say, Oh, I'm sorry, your honor. I missed that. You know, just like really normal things like that. Um, which I think just because it is new, sometimes like the newness of it can throw people off, but just, just staying human. Um, the other thing is, I think like, this is mostly Eric, but like the strategy of using demos and when to use demos and how to elevate normal trial demos to an online format is something that like Eric had a really good eye for right away. And, um, you know, like all of the final rounds that are online, like we use this like zooming timeline and it's, it's a small thing, but it, I think when you see it, it's like, oh, that's impressive. Like that's a cool way to use the technology that I hadn't necessarily thought of. And, you know, that's something you can do really easily on PowerPoint. So for me, I think like, as far as that, maybe that's the most useful advice for people thinking about next year is you have more creativity with demos and like, how can you elevate what you might take into a normal courtroom 
you know, and do it, do it differently, use the technology to your advantage, use a demo where you may not otherwise, because it is a little easier to get distracted um, in this format. So, yeah, I mean, those are the things I would say, but I think like generally the normal things that you want to be good at and that you want to, the skills that you're building that are useful in in in-person trial translate pretty well to online mock trial. So I, I'm hoping for people to transition in and then eventual transition out are, are pretty seamless. Elias, I want to follow up with you because you also did all three. I think you got to the finals of the closing competition before bowing out to a, a worthy uh, adversary in, in Regina. So so same question I asked to uh, Sonali, what do you think you've learned now having gone through three online competitions that could be useful for others uh, who will be doing this next year? Definitely. Um, I think Sonali really hit it on the head when she said you kind of have to embrace the medium that you're performing in. Um, and I can kind of use an, uh, the story of my mock tri- online mock trial progression. So when I first uh, scrimmaged for TBC, I actually scrimmaged uh, Steven and a couple other TBC competitors. Um, I think I showed one exhibit using screen share. And then I saw how Steven was using uh, um, like the Zoom features and sharing a screen making PowerPoints, how the other competitors were doing it. Um, so then for my for at TBC, I was like, okay, you know, we'll make a PowerPoint, you know, we'll highlight some things, we'll do some Zoom. And then I, I think the first round at TBC, I was the I was the cop in the round that Sonali was being an attorney. And then I see the, the Duke mock trial, second chair, uh, PowerPoint setup, and I'm like, okay, I think we might have to change a couple things. So for for, the, for this third iteration of my uh, you know online mock trial um, experience doing OLT, you know, I think the most stressful time I had was being the second chair when I wasn't competing and moving the PowerPoints uh, synchronized to the speeches. I think I was probably more st- stressed out doing that than actually uh, competing and, and, and you know being an attorney in the other rounds. Um, so, I mean, that's a long way of saying, I think that the important thing is to really embrace the medium that you're in. Um, I think Justin, when he made the TBC case, he kept that in mind. He gave us videos. He gave us exhibits that were really um, uh, that were that you could really make interesting PowerPoints and, and demonstrations with using uh, your computer. So um, definitely use all the tools you have uh, with your um, with technology uh, to the fullest of um, or or I mean to, to make your performance the best that it can be. Yeah, that's an inside tip. Obviously, since we had five, there's like one person who wasn't competing, like either Stephen or Elias, depending on the side. And so if Stephen was on the bench with me, I would say like, Mr. Becker, can you put that on the screen? But it was actually Elias. And it just looks like that like co-counsel synergy, but actually it's like less stressful on all of us. So So in the final round, I was the man behind the curtain, just so everyone knows. (laughs) Yeah, Elias got all the credit. Judges would say like, wow, you guys did such a good job with like your co-counsel, like you were so fast and stuff. And no, just got a gun pulled. <laughs> but those are the little things that, you know, we're all trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, let me ask one last uh, thing about sort of the logistics. So we haven't talked about this yet, but um, round four of one last time, I got to see you guys compete. I was the presiding judge. Um, I'm seeing already long faces and hands over faces. It was an interesting round. But uh, so I was the presiding judge in the round four before the, the break to the championship. And I want to talk specifically about timekeeping. Um, because I think it's like, I I think we've devised a lot of solutions to a lot of things. We've sort of been able to replicate the product of mock trial. We found this sort of what seems to be becoming a norm with trying to have four people on screen at one time at most. And I think it's working except for timekeeping. I feel like we haven't solved that yet. And, And I think this is true, uh, I thought it was true at TBC where it was just a hard thing to figure out. I thought it was especially true watching one last time where you just don't have that real time timekeeper. You can't just look over and always see your timekeeper. Um, And not to get into any 
details or anything like that, but we had a time dispute in the round that I presided over. And so do any of you have any thoughts, and this can really go to anyone, on how that can work maybe a little bit better moving forward? Because it's something that I just, I've thought about it a lot, and I just don't know if I've felt like I've come up with a good solution for how to replicate how we normally do things. So one thing that I want to kind of shout out, um, which we didn't, we didn't use for OLT because it had the kind of weird, you know, all the time is allotted by attorney thing, but we did use it for TBC, um, which is this website called cuckoo.team, like C-U-C-K-O-O.team. And it's basically like a, like a shared timer and you can like, you know, so for anyone listening, like, you know, check it out for the fall. Um, cause it's, it's very helpful. Like basically I would have the timer up on screen when I would start something and then Bennett could start and stop the time however he wanted. And it would, it would start and stop it on my screen as well. And I would have a timer when it went off. So, I mean, that's one way of doing it. I agree though. It's not perfect. I, at one point I had to like, I accidentally like put another window over it. And so I had to like move that window out of the way in the middle of one of my closings. And so it was like, so those are the kinds of problems you can have, but that's one possible solution. Yeah. I think also there could be some sort of rule or procedure where um, the communication between the timekeepers is sort of made public to the jury and to the judge. So there's no miscommunication because in a round, you know, you're sitting next to the timekeeper and you can kind of nudge them and say, Oh, Hey, do you have 24 or 35 left for this or, or so forth? Um, and that was definitely really cumbersome over zoom because we were like privately chatting people and trying to get, um, different insights into what your time was and to what some other person's time was. Um, so I think that there definitely should be some set procedure going forward for, you know, timekeepers communicating during the round publicly to the, the jury, the judge, and all the competitors about how much time people have for specific parts of the trial. Or even just designated timekeepers, because there were a number of times where we were chatting privately to each other saying, oh, were you timing Sonali? Were you timing Stephen? Were you timing opposing counsel? Um, which obviously got extremely complicated. So I think even just designating like certain people to timekeep certain things would be really helpful. Yeah, like I'd, ha- I'd have to, like when I was timekeeping, I'd have to like message opposing counsel to ask who was timekeeping for them. And then I would message that person. And then like that person would direct me to someone else. So it, it-, it was very complicated. Yeah. And then just adding on like as a different point, I think something that we came across every single round was just running up to all loss every single time and trying to to figure out maybe in the future how when you when you're subtracting one witness and one attorney from a round it's not exactly going to be uh I think I think it was two and a half hours for a round it's not going to be that it's longer and so figuring out what we do in the future for like calculating how long zoom trials are is going to be interesting so one thing I also wanted to follow up with was something that Isabel had actually mentioned earlier uh, about using notes when you're witnessing. Um, and I think that it applies for you know, when you're giving a speech, when you're doing a direct, when you're doing a cross. And I think that what's interesting about this is that I think that I know from, from coaching my students that the, the hardest thing to do is to get people to, to put their notes aside and start competing without them. And what people often don't realize is that when they do, they actually know a lot more than they, than they think, and they're, they're really fine. But I wanted to come back to that now, Isabel, and take a second to, to follow up with you on it. And really, if anyone else says anything they want to add to it, I want to hear from them as well. But this idea of it's so easy to just you know have your notes on another side of your screen. And I mean, to a certain extent, you're presenting to your camera, to your computer anyway. Um, 
And isn't it easy to just kind of have that to peek at? And I mean, look, I think that you're right that if I just started reading across my screen, you know, that's very obvious that I'm just reading. But I feel like there's going to be many people that are going to try to make an art out of, you know, I still have my notes there. I can still look at it. And and is that going to change mock trial in any way? Is it going to change the way people prepare? And do you think it's a good or bad thing? I think it will absolutely change things. If nothing else, I think it will change the prep time because I think where in the past, you know, the week before the tournament, you would always be determined to have your content finished and perfected so you could start memorizing it and not be memorizing it the night before. Um, versus now, I'm not sure there's going to be that pressure to have your content written, you know, a week and a half in advance and ready to run at that point. I think there's going to be a significant shift in the time frame of practice schedules and how you're going to prepare for a tournament, because I think it's going to be almost impossible to instill in new members a sense of urgency. Um, and it's so hard, you know, I remember when I was a freshman thinking like, oh, why do I have to memorize all these things? But it really is so important to memorize things just so that you have a solid understanding for yourself. Um, and I think that really does heighten the level of competition. So if nothing else, I think the onus will be on individual teams to sort of make sure that they can convey the importance of that to their new members and make sure that it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, you can get away with not memorizing and you can just have it pulled up next to you. I think you sh you could have it pulled up next to you if you need to check things or, you know, just glance over at it. Um, but I think it really is just a work ethic thing um, and making sure that it doesn't change, you know, the practice schedules. I think that it, just to, to briefly add on to that, another effect that I think I might have is like, especially at a tournament like regionals, to change the way the judges differentiate teams. Because like, as it stands in, you know, when there's an in-person tournament, the on notes, off notes divide is a very easy way for judges to differentiate teams. Um, and so it, it kind of eliminates that as a factor, or at least as an easy factor. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think that, you know, it's something, Stephen, that we often will see and, and kind of like, okay, you see someone pull out notes and run, like, all right, that's easy win, no problem. Um, and it's very frustrating, of course, when judges don't always do that. But um, I, one other thing that I've been thinking about with this is the concept of, as a witness, you know, you could have your affidavit right there on your computer and you could be checking when, a, when a, you know, you get a cross question you're not familiar with. You can kind of stall and just kind of scroll through. I mean, what is there to stop people from doing that? And what does that mean about witnesses on cross? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that because I want to give anyone any bad ideas. Um, I personally think that, that would not be fun to, to as a way to do mock trial. But I'm just curious what you guys think uh, as witnesses and people that have done this now. And the, I mean, Obviously, it's done. But did you guys have your affidavits nearby? Were you kind of ever like, oh, wait, like they just said that. Is that actually what I said? Like, let me just quickly scroll through and check. I mean, I, I just I, I wonder because I feel like that's just something that seems so easy to do and would make witnessing for what most people find the most stressful part of witnessing maybe a little less stressful. If I know I can see exactly what it is they're going to point me to before they start to impeach me. I, I think it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm laughing because I know at least for myself I cannot think fast enough to to be able to know where in my affidavit a line would be that I need to like as the question is being asked on cross um, to be able to like pull that up and be like okay this is what I'm going that I need I know that probably that is a skill that some people could pick up um, 
but I think on just kind of like sort of normal like on a normal cross it's something that's actually incredibly difficult to do um I know that I had like all of my affidavits printed out to the side um but to be able to like while being on cross while being on the stand pull one out and find what I needed would be incredibly difficult I would agree with that I think unless you are really good at command f and you know exactly what the crossing attorney is trying to get at I think it would be very difficult to look through it and you know having been both an attorney, but primarily a witness in my college career, I think it is a huge fear for witnesses. Like when you're sitting on that stand and you're like, oh no, like what do they know in my affidavit that I didn't catch? But again, it's a confidence thing. Um, And I think if you do have your affidavit pulled up, the temptation to look for it and be floundering for an answer will probably harm you more in the long term. Something that, um, since you brought this up, that I was thinking about that's almost a step up from that, from having the affidavit is, and I don't know if this is going to be the Stanford standard at AMTA tournaments or not, but in addition to live streaming all four rounds, they also saved all four rounds to YouTube, which um, was, they did not do a trial by combat. And so it was a change, which meant that like, you know, we know our round three pairings at the end of the day, round two, we could literally watch the whole team that we were going up against round three, round four, And not just like, you know, have your affidavit to check, but know what's coming in the cross. And we knew people were going to do it to us. We felt like we had to do it to like stay competitive. But that's something that I do think changes the game because it totally takes out surprise element on a lot of things. I know scouting is always the thing, but there's a difference between a scout telling you like, oh, they do this, this and this versus actually getting to watch the entire cross yourself. Like that's just so different. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I know that like scouting already is kind of like an inequitable thing. Some teams can do it. Some teams choose not to do it. Some teams can't do it. Um, But it feels like the solution to that should not be put all the rounds online because I really do think that 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 changes, you know, that really does change the game. It changes the way you prepare for a round, go into a round. I like, I don't want anyone to know that much about what we're doing ahead of time. I really don't want to know that much about what they're doing ahead of time either. Like, it's just like the honest reactions you have to things kind of go out the window. Yeah. I think this is so fascinating just to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I mean, obviously, it's the first time we've ever done anything on this scale um, as an organization, and I think it's it's kind of cool to hear those thoughts. I, I will say that for my part, I've always preached a, very similarly to what you guys have said, you know, don't memorize it, just learn it. And if you know it and you've learned it already, you know, you don't need to memorize it because it's already it's somewhere up in the recesses of your brain. Um, but I think that's some really great sentiments from each of you. So thank you for that. So to sort of move us towards wrapping up here, the sort of the theme of our discussion has been how interesting it is that the five of you got to work together and the value that you got from that. So we have the benefit of having all five of you on and you're all, of course, uh, seniors who recently graduated from college and from your college mock trial programs. So to finish us up, I want to ask each of you the same question. I think I'm just going to go in the order I see you on my screen. So I think I'm Elias. I'm going to start with you. Uh, College mock trial obviously meant a great deal to each of you. You each competed at very high levels for very successful programs. You finished it off by winning this really fantastic tournament. So what, as you think back on your time in college mock trial, and I know it sort of had a tumultuous end, but what do you think you will take from your experience competing uh, with AMTA and competing in college? And so Elias, I'll, I'll start with you. Definitely. I mean, it's of course a heavy question. Um, first and foremost, the relationships I was able to form during mock trial. I know my my roommate this past year, shout out to John Merle, um, best friend in college. Also, I, I met you know countless other friends in college through mock trial. Um, those relationships are going to be things that I carry with me for the rest of my life into my professional career. 
Um, and those are things that I really found valuable during my time at Emory. Um, with that said, to give a more sort of, you know, general mock trial, um, um, you, know, you know, thoughts on participating in the activity. Um, I, re I recall after my first year of college, I interned for a, um, a state prosecutor's office here in New Jersey. And I was watching a trial go on and I realized like, you know, this is not too different from what we're doing here in AMTA, right? Of course, you know, they're a little bit more technical, a um, little less theatrical, a little less showy, but you realize that the skills that you're, you're cultivating on the college level are things that are definitely going to help you as a attorney, if you do want to be an attorney when you're older. Um, but, and, you know, and through that and through being a better attorney, you're going to help people, uh, you know, real people during your real life who are going through real problems. Um, and that really stuck with me when I saw uh, an actual trial and I saw how similar it was to some of the stuff we do in AMTA, you know, it really showed me that, you know, the, the skills that we're practicing here in an activity that we do, for, that we do for fun, that we do to, you know, to win and, and to enjoy time with the, with the people around us. Um, it also has, you know, meaningful, tangible impacts, um, you know, for people in our community. So that's something that definitely stood out with me. And that's, that I'm going to carry that with me throughout my legal career um, and forward in my life. Isabella, I'll go to you next. What do you think? Same question about sort of what you'll look back on with your time in mock trial. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the obvious answer of, you know, the people and the friends that I've made, I'm sure we'll all have a very similar answer in that respect. But I think beyond that, um, mock trial as an activity gave me a purpose throughout my four years of just having something to constantly move forward to. Um, and yeah, provide me with the forward momentum that I think was really useful as a college student um, to have something that wasn't necessarily my academics that was driving me um, and something that I actually really enjoyed. I think that's invaluable um, to have something that is at once fun and enjoyable while also being something that drives me generally. Sonali, I'll go to you next. Um, you've obviously spoken to us a little bit about your time in college mock trial, but as you look back on it, what do you think you'll specifically remember and, and think about the activity? Yeah, I think, you know, when everything got canceled in March, I thought that was it. You know, I thought that was the end of my mock trial career. And I talked to you guys not too long after that, after UCLA, when I you know, pretty much thought I was done. And um, I just remember it being so sad. Like I, the overwhelming thing I felt was sad. And I just like felt this loss of like this experience with my teammates that I didn't get to have anymore. And now that I've had some time from that and some separation from that I think looking back on the whole four-year journey was which you know obviously I a lot happened this summer but that what happened this summer only happened because you know I was on a team as a freshman with seniors who really cared about me and I was on a team as a as a senior with teammates who I loved dearly and who you know always wanted to me, me to be better I think like looking at all of it um yeah similarly I'm grateful for the relationships I, I I've made but Specifically, I think it's like what we were able to do together, you know, like I know how hard I'm able to work because like we did that together. I know like how what I'm like on a team because of all of these teams I've been on over the year, including this one, which I love. Um, and also, I think, you know, thanks in big part to this summer, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not bad at this. And as this profession that I want to go into, which, of course, is not dominated by by women or, you know, women who look like me, I kind of have some more faith in myself that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise in that, you know, I, I can do this and I can, I can be a good advocate, you know, in service of other people, like Elias was saying. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think it's really going to shape, you know, my, my law school and, and probably my career afterwards. Steven, I'll go to you next. Same question that I've asked the, the previous three. Uh, just looking back, what do you think you're going to remember specifically about college mock trial? 
I mean, like really, and, and this is already true, like mock trial is and will be the thing that I remember most about college. I think when I look back at college, it's going to be like just a big mock trial in my memory. Um, really, I, I think that like what, what mock trial has taught me is like, is, is about passion and like what it's like to be passionate about something. And that's that, you know, that's like kind of cheesy, but like, really on there were very few things that I had done in my life before mock trial where it was something that I worked extremely hard on not because I had to but because I wanted to um and you know like it's always been such a you know there's there's so many like media tropes about like oh like passion and hard work and like getting good at something and perfecting a craft and 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 really like you know, seeing stuff like that didn't really resonate with me until I started doing mock trial. And now when I watch a movie and it's like, oh, like someone's like working hard at their craft, I'm like, oh, that's like mock trial. It's just, it, it it's just taught me a lot about the idea of, of work, um, and being good at stuff. Um, and I think, you know, to, to echo kind of what Sonali said, um, about like the self-esteem stuff, like it, it, it is really, really satisfying to just like have a thing that you started off not knowing anything about and that you've gotten really good at. Um, and like, that's something that I really carry with me in all aspects of my life is kind of, you know, feeling that feeling of warmth, knowing like, (laughs) at least I am good at mock trial, (laughs) um, when bad things happen to me. Um, and I mean, ultimately it's, it's kind of, the, the the meaning that it's going to have or that it has had is, is is going to translate to the rest of my life because I'm you know I'm going to law school um and that's not something that I really even considered before I joined mock trial so like it's gonna certainly have a lasting legacy and George I'll finish up with you you've heard this question four times now so I won't repeat it again uh, but what are your thoughts on on that topic that we've been discussing yeah um I think interestingly like at the end of the day for me like mock trial is still just like a ridiculous activity that's just hilarious <laughs> like explaining it to anyone who doesn't do it is just the most bizarre experience um like I pretended to play a grieving mom today or um like an expert in chimpanzees it, it's like just bizarre but you you walk away from this whole experience with like a really unique set of skills that I don't think you expect um and they extend beyond like public speaking and law. Um, the example that I can give is that I had a job interview a couple of weeks ago and um, part of it was getting a giant chunk of information in 20 minutes to distill it down to the most important points. And mock trial teaches you, you get handed one day just this giant stack of information and how do you, like how the heck do you distill it down to what's important and what can I disregard and what needs to be highlighted? And you do that four times in your mock trial career and then more times if you go to nationals and you get really really good at it so um mock trial actually has these additional skills that maybe you don't realize until you you actually use them in the workforce well i think all of that really just fits with the tone of this discussion and i I think i can speak for drew as well when i say that uh, mock trial is great in my opinion because of people like the five of you who clearly poured so much into this activity and had tremendous success, all of you in in different ways, but then got to come together at the end uh, and succeed in the way that you did. So 
more than anything else, thank you guys for taking time to talk to us. Thank you for dedicating this much time to an activity that clearly Drew and I are at least somewhat fond about. Um, it was really a pleasure to get to talk to all of you. It was a pleasure on my end to get to watch you all compete at one last time. And, you know, I wish you nothing but great luck in what's whatever the future is going to hold. Obviously, it's it's a loss for the community that you're all moving on, but I look forward to uh, seeing what comes next. So thank you guys for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was great having all of you here. Uh, to everyone listening, Drew and I will be in your feed again very soon. We've got some very exciting episodes coming up. But until next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.